So as we continue in Philippians chapter 1, um, we get into one of my very, very favorite areas of Philippians, and this is chapter 20 to 26. So a little bit longer reading there. Stick with me in that. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So, Paul has this hope, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that's still continuing in what we were talking about that last time, about his salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He then has expectation, earnest expectation and hope that in, in all things he will not be ashamed. That, but with all boldness, as always, so not only are the ones watching him in his bonds have boldness, but it gives him boldness as well. What is that boldness? That Christ shall be magnified in his body, in, in Paul's body, whether it be by life or death. So it doesn't matter if I live or die. I want Christ to be magnified. That's the goal. So the goal is not running around saying, oh, Lord, let me live, let me live, let me live. It is saying, let Christ be glorified whether I live or die. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a, what a tremendous attitude that God had placed in Paul. I, I would rather die and go and be with Christ. That's my desire. But even though that is my desire, if I live in the flesh, then this becomes the fruit of my labor. He's torn between the two, living for the people so the work could be carried on or dying so he could be with Christ. To die is gain. The word gain there is kurdos, and it was used to describe interest on money. So he's saying, if I die, it's as if I get the, the benefit of what I have invested in my life. Therefore, it's like cashing in on a savings account. Some teach when you die, that you're in holding and, and you wait until 
the judgment time comes. I think that that would not really match, and I'm not going to die on that hill and argue with you if that's what you want to believe, but I think that that viewpoint doesn't match Paul's description as death of death. To die is to be with Christ. To die is to be with Christ. And that's why death should not cause fear to us. As the psalmist who did not know of Christ in his time, as the psalmist wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. To, to die is to be with Christ. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. Paul loved the Philippian people so much, and he realized that they needed him. So he was willing to stay, to help care for them, and to set his homesick desires aside. That, that again is that tremendous attitude of pastoral shepherd attitude. I will put aside what I want so that you can be benefited from it. <laughs> oh God, if we could see that attitude in ministry today, if we could see that attitude in ministry today, it, it I, I wish that we could, where we would say, you know, I want to go home, but if I need to stay, I will stay. Verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The word conversation there, let your conversation, actually means a whole manner of life. So it's not just saying what you say, but in your whole manner of life, let that be as it becomes the gospel. Let your manner of life, your entire lifestyle, be a benefit to the gospel. Stand fast in one spirit, one mind, which the word mind means soul or psyche, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He wanted them to not be like Rome, who was striving apart. There was all kinds of issues there. But he wanted the Philippians to, and, and they were probably having problems in this area, or he wouldn't have, have addressed it in this they, they needed to be in one accord with each other, moving in the same direction. I, I wonder sometimes if, if there can be such a church that is in one accord today. I, I really do. I used to pray that so much when I was going for revival, because when you see the people come into one accord... All of the time in the scripture, you see the outpouring of God's presence and his spirit. And so I would pray that often. But, but there is so much division and so much divisiveness that is going on. And Paul didn't want to see that 
in the church. He wanted them to stand fast. And, and whether he was there or not, because lots of people put on this front, you know, when you get there, and again, I'm not trying to make this about me, but I would see that in revivals. I would come in revivals and boy, people had been praying and they had been believing and they had been, and I knew as soon as the revival was over and I left, they was going to go right back to the way that they were before because it wasn't sincere. And Paul doesn't want that game, whether he's there or not, whether he's there or not. He wants them to stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together. Why? For the faith of the gospel, not over your little doctrinal arguments, not over what you wear or, or how long your hair is or whether you have a beard and mustache or any of those kinds of things. He wants them to striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's our job to spread the gospel. Is doctrine unimportant? No, doctrine is very important. And that's not what he's talking about when he's talking about being of one mind. It's not like we've got to be these blind sheep just following along behind, but we are sheep following behind our shepherd. And that means as fellow sheep, we stand together to spread the faith of the gospel to the world around us. Verses 28 to 30, ending chapter 1. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token, evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. Don't be afraid of your enemies. The devil will raise up enemies against you. They will hate you. They will persecute you. They will kill you. They will imprison you. Jesus said that's what's going to be coming. And the apostles experienced those very same things that he said. What happened in their lives? And so you see that. But God says, don't be afraid of these things. And that is just silliness to your enemies. Yeah, they're looking at you like, how can you possibly be? I, I, I'm not their enemies, but I think that sometimes about the persecuted church. I, I th These people, I, I remember reading, that was one day when I was out in Arizona at a restaurant. I was sitting there and the tears just literally began to run down my face as I was reading about these terribly persecuted Christians in Iran, just tortured and abused and mistreated, and they were out taking their very, very limited supply of rice and taking it around to the very people that was torturing them and hurting them. And, and I think, but, but that is silliness to those who hate you. It's like, how can you return love when we hate you? But that is the attitude of Christianity. 
That's exactly what you see. I mentioned Stephen before. That's what you see as Stephen says, lay not this sin to their charge. That's what you see as Jesus hanging on the cross says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It takes tremendous spirituality to speak forgiveness in the middle of persecution. But the persecutors will think you're crazy. They will think that you have lost your mind. But to you, it is salvation and that of God. Paul says, I have suffered and I'm suffering now. But I have overcome and you will overcome too. How do you feel about suffering? What is your attitude about suffering? In America, we are really spoiled in that. Even though persecution has begun to happen, it has not happened nearly in the level that it does in many foreign nations. I walk out of my front door. I walk down the sidewalk. I'm openly carrying my Bible as I walk into the church. And I have no hesitation that someone is going to come and arrest me. But Paul understood what that was like. And, and not only had the church at Philippi seen that in him, because it happened to him in Philippi. But now they are hearing that it continues to happen to him. But it is given Unto us in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, hear this, fellow Christians, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. I think, especially with those of us in America, that we need to have a a change in our vision and circumstance of of um, suffering. I, I I really do. I think again. I said that about me going to prison. I think again, if the Lord does not return for his church before all of that happens, I think we're going to grow to experience that. And I don't say that, and please, please, please understand that. I don't believe in trying to scare people because it doesn't work. It, it never has worked. If you scare people into accepting Jesus, as soon as that fear goes away, their acceptance of Jesus goes away too. That's not why I'm talking about suffering. I'm just simply saying that we need to have the attitude in our spiritual walk that we recognize it is an honor for us to suffer for Jesus Christ, that the faith of the gospel may be spread throughout the land. Chapter 2. Verses 1 to 4. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now remember again, the Greeks looked at the bowels as the center of emotion. We Americans would say that if any heart and mercies. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, 
having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He doesn't change his message, does he? He continues in this, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Uh, powerful verses coming up, but we're going to stop there. Unity, humility, others are more important than yourself. Th this isn't false humility. Some people have false humility to kind of try to, oh, I'm so lowly. And I'm, that, that's, this is, this is a genuine self appraisal, realizing that we have shortcomings that others may not. Wow. Be like-minded and of one accord. Don't do anything in strife or to exalt yourself, but esteem each other. Don't, don't do anything to puff yourself up or make you look better than someone else. I've always wanted to be cautious about this in my life because I've seen many people that do it. it. No matter what story you tell, they've always got a story that is bigger and better than yours. You know anybody like that? Doesn't matter what you say. You could go out and say, I spoke to the Rocky Mountains and they moved out of my way. And the person will be saying, well, I spoke to Mount Everest and it moved out of my way. It, it, so, so they're constantly looking to puff themselves up. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't, don't do that with an attitude of strife where, where you're trying to call it a prayer request and really you are just gossiping. Be careful, my friends, but be like-minded and, and of one accord. Don't let, be lowly in your mind. And, and that is where we do the self-appraisal. Don't esteem yourself, but esteem others. I think, honestly, that you could take those four verses, put them in great, big, huge, giant print, and put them in the front and back of every church in America. We, we need that message. When we look at others as being more important than us, sometimes, and, and I say that with humility, sometimes in the ministry, you have these situations, and and I don't like that part. That's why a lot of times when I went and did revivals, and people would look at me really strange, because I'm the special speaker. And it, but instead of setting up on the platform, I wanted to set all the way in the back of the sanctuary. 
That wasn't false humility. That was the attitude of, I don't want to be in the position of being exalted and, and lifted up. When I was doing music, and you tend to have a little bit more of a persona in music, and people would see me walking through. I, I And again, I'm not saying that in a puff-up way. I'm saying that just kind of, people would say, wow, there he is. And I, I would look around and say, where there, there who is? Who, who are you looking at? I, it's certainly not me. Because to me, the services are not about exalting me. The services are bringing others up and along so that they can be in the place of victory in their lives, in unity and humility, and looking at others as more important as themselves. Now, I love this next part, and so this is probably going to take me a little bit. Verses 5 to 11, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in the earth uh, and things in, I'm sorry, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think maybe one of the most challenging verses in the entire scriptures is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have a mind like Christ. You cannot love Christ, John told us, without loving your fellow man. Christ was the form of God. I've been argued with there that the new versions, what they say, um, because they say verse 6 with the attitude of he didn't consider being equal with God something to be grasped. And people say to me that's the same thing as thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That is not true. The new versions are stripping away the divinity of Jesus Christ. He was in the form of God, and he was equal with God, and he did not look at that as being robbery, and he did not feel like that it was something that couldn't be grasped. Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, He is God the Son. 
And so I, I want to be very, very clear in that, that people that strip away who he is, and, and I don't care if it's a version of the Bible, you need to throw that away, let me tell you. Christ was the form of God, and God didn't strip him of his glory. Jesus did it himself. Made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He did this with himself. We shouldn't just wait on God to give us the mind of Christ. We should be doing these things in us we strip ourselves of our reputation. That goes back. Paul is not lost in what he's saying. He's talking about let nothing be done in strife and vainglory earlier, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself to have the mind of Christ. It's continuing on in this discussion. Christ stripped himself of his position. There are two words for form in Greek. So when it says that Jesus was the form, he was being in the form of God. The first is like a mirage. It's like this picture of something that really isn't there. The second is morphe, which is used here. It means a true revelation of the object itself. So what this is saying in Morphe, Morphe Theo meant the revelation of God. That, and, and so it isn't saying that Jesus couldn't grasp equality with God. It is saying that Morphe Theo he was the revelation of God himself. He was Emmanuel, God with us. So people that tried to strip that away from him, don't listen to them. Being, being in the form of God, hupercon, not enai, which means to be, hupercon means subsisting. Therefore, it would be subsisting as the revelation of God, okay? He was God and is God. As Jesus was on this earth, he was subsisting. He had stripped himself of his, of his reputation. He had become as a man. He, he did that so that he could humble himself and die on the cross. And, and that's what it's saying in that. But understand when it says, being in the form of God. The Greek words for that is he was subsisting as the very revelation of God. He was God. He is God. He will never cease to be God. He is not a God. He is not some God. He is the God. John wrote it in John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Unlike some translations that insert the word A and say was a God. 
So be careful that you understand what is being said. I'm sorry that I get so passionate. I can't help myself. I love the word. And sometimes it just makes me get stirred up in my spirit. But he willingly became a man so that he could die on the cross. And after he died on the cross, God lifted him up to the position that no one else will ever be in. Every knee in heaven, which is angels, in earth, humans, and under earth, Satan and his minions, takes them all in, all of us, will bow our knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. I think about that a lot. I really do. I think about people that I have been in their presence that have blasphemed Jesus openly, mocked him, even made fun of him. And you know what? No matter where you fall into the spectrum of things, you can make a choice in your life, the most important choice that you will ever make. You're going to bow your knee, that is guaranteed, and you are going to confess that Jesus is Lord, and that is guaranteed. You can do that now while you're here on earth and bow your knee and confess him as Lord now, or you will do it at the great white throne of judgment. For God has exalted Jesus and gave him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind that was in Christ be in you. What a tremendous challenge. I encourage you, and I'm not going to quite stop quite yet, but I encourage you, bow your knee now and confess him as Lord now. Don't wait till the great white throne of judgment because when you do it there, it will be too late to save you. So do it now. What a tremendous word. Can you begin to see why I just love this book? Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2 in Philippians. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Now again, he continues, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In Paul's absence, again, we talked about what he was saying earlier. The Philippians do not have his guiding admonitions. One of the things that I love, because we didn't used to have this when I was younger, I'm letting you know my age a little bit. 
We, we didn't have this ability to sit down in front of a microphone or a video camera and record for the computer and send that out all over the country. I had to actually go to the places in the country to be able to bring word to them. And when you're not there, it is so much easier to just forget about that. It, it is. I say that in accountability to the doctor. When I have to go to the doctor, like a week or two before I go to the doctor, I start really behaving myself because I know the first thing that's going to happen when I walk into the doctor's area there is they're going to say, get up on the scales, Mike, and I'm going to face the reality of what I've done. When I'm not getting ready to get up on the scales, a lot of times I'm like, oh, yeah, I can eat that. So... Paul is, is talking to them. It is great that not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, that it's important for you to be working out your salvation. That's not saying that you are saved because of your works. That's a total misinterpretation of what that scripture says. In no way is Paul saying, go out and work so that you can gain your salvation with fear and trembling. But it is working at the continuous task of following Christ's example of obedience. He's still talking about the mind of Christ and, and having the attitudes that Christ has. That So we are following him and continuously in the task of following him and following in his obedience. They are to do this with fear and trembling. That isn't a contradiction of justification by faith. And, and people that try to make it into a contradiction, again, are totally misinterpreting what the scripture says. It is Christians and not unbelievers that he's speaking to. People that are already, they've already accepted Christ. They already possess the justification and the salvation that he gives to them. This isn't a progressive salvation. The word for work out here has the idea of bringing to a completion. We see there is a beginning of self-righteousness that threatens the unity of the church. And Paul is dealing with that. Not by works, but by following Christ and his example of obedience, you are walking in this in fear and trembling, in respect, in honor, recognizing who it is that you are following so that you can come to the fulfillment of your salvation. They're to work out their own salvation and not by what somebody else tells them or comparing themselves to someone else or to other groups in the church. Because it is God that works in you. Do you get it? It's, it doesn't stop there when it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he's still working on me. 
back back there into chapter one. He's still working on me. It is God that works in you and not anyone else and not what anyone else says. Paul is confident that God will continue to work to bring about his goodwill in Philippi. This was meant as a promise. It wasn't meant to say to the people, oh, now you've got to go out and you've got to knock on so many doors and you've got to read so many verses and you've got to put so much in the offering plate and that's how you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, no, it is not. Oh, no, it is not. But we are working this out as we follow Christ. So it's not progressive salvation, but we are working it to a completion in our lives. So you don't just go to the altar and say, Lord, save me, and then forget about it and live however you want to. When you go to the altar, whether that is a physical altar or just a, a figurative, and you act, to me it was a folding chair. You ask God, please forgive me. I was wrong. I repent. I want to be a Christian. There's no progression in your justification, but there's progression as you are walking and you are following and you are following Christ in what his obedience was. What was his obedience? He stripped himself of his glory. He became a man so that he could die on the cross and fulfill the ultimate will of God. So what is what we should be doing? The same thing. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Jesus Christ. See, my friends, and I'm going to stop here, but see, that's why it's so significant that we always take the scriptures in context because it is so easy to take a verse or two and make it say something that was never actually said. When you take it into context, it makes perfect sense that Paul is continuing on in this discussion. He never stopped. When he started talking about unity and, and lifting others above you and not doing strife and vainglory and all those kinds of things, he's still in that discussion as we are there. But people take out one verse and say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then say that means that you earn your salvation with your works. No, it doesn't. And so I hope that as we continue on in the next session of this study, that it will continue to be a blessing and you will begin to see the book of Philippians in its fullness and not just in a verse or two. Thank you again for listening. God's blessings be upon you.